Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, and I am chilling here in the studio by myself today. Randy's out of town, but... I've got a really cool interview with a guy named Don Vino. He is a fellow podcaster. He's got a YouTube channel. It's good stuff. You should check it out. But he also has a ministry to the cults. And uh, he and his wife have been doing that for a long time. He's got a lot to talk about, and I hope you stick around and check that out. But first, we're going to have a quick word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. Dawn, uh, we are rolling. I believe we're recording. Um, it is good to have you on. Finally, uh, we got to it. Um, I think everything under the sun went wrong with this one, trying to get this recording. But uh, actually, I switched to a different computer here at the end, and I'm wondering if that might have fixed it uh, because that other one was just going haywire. So, <laughs> I, I couldn't really tell you any of that. All I know is <laughs> we are in here now. It's happening. It's yeah. happening. Uh, so, Don, uh, you are with what well, you're the president of Midwestern Christian Outreach. Is that correct? Midwest? No urn. I don't have an urn here. Just Midwest. Midwest. Midwest I'm sorry. Midwest Christian Outreach. Yeah. Um, with that said, your YouTube channel is also Midwest Christian Outreach Inc., right? Well, it's Midwest Christian Outreach Inc. is the ministry. Uh, and it's also our YouTube channel. Um, actually, I think I should go look at my YouTube channel so I can tell you exactly what it is. How about that? <laughs> that works for me. Uh, if you go to YouTube channel, it is Midwest Christian Outreach Inc. It definitely is. And we have one of those, um, you know, vanity URLs there. So you could go to uh, uh, youtube.com slash C slash Midwest Outreach Org and get there too very cool very cool um so for anybody listening right now um what how would you describe midwest christian outreach midwest christian outreach is a mission to cults and non-christian religions that's really what we do we started out reaching uh trying to reach jehovah's witnesses actually and uh over time it grew into doing pretty much anything that comes along uh we got involved because my wife had met some jehovah's witnesses that she really liked 
I was a relatively new Christian. I had grown up as an atheist and became a Christian after my son was born. She met some Jehovah's Witnesses on a bowling league and just really loved them and wanted to reach them, didn't know what they believed, had heard it was not orthodox, but didn't really know what, you know, what it was. Went to our pastor. He didn't know very much either, and he gave us a little track uh, with a lot of Bible verses on it, but didn't tell us why they were important. So it wasn't really helpful. At the time, there was not a lot of information out there that was friendly, let's say, to Jehovah's Witnesses. There were a few books, mostly by angry former Jehovah's Witnesses. uh, And uh, by and by, we came in contact with a group of former Jehovah's Witnesses who just loved them because they had grown up with them largely. Right. And uh, so we learned about that, and and then by and by started a helpline. It was a pre-recorded helpline. We were not supposed to answer it; just change the message every week, about a three to five minute message. Uh, and uh, over time, several others around the country had done a similar thing, and so we started referring to ours as a live line. If they wanted to talk to someone right now, they could hang up on the recording and call and talk to one of us, Joy or myself. Uh, eventually we started getting calls about other groups and uh, so joy in her loving way said i'll handle jehovah's witnesses and you do everybody else and that's how midwest christian outreach was born (laughs) man she gave you the hard job well yes and no i'm i'm fascinated by people number one sure Uh, i i grew up as an atheist and i became a christian really through evidence obviously through the the calling of the holy spirit but for me it was a process of is the is uh, is there a god that's the first question i had to answer uh and i realized as i was reading some material that she had asked me to look at that uh, i couldn't really be honest and an atheist see that's a, that's the thing there you can be an atheist but you can't be honest and an atheist because there's a claim to know something that you can't really know right uh but I thought I could be an agnostic. That was safe. I didn't have to claim to know anything. I could just say, I don't know. Uh, and uh, as my friend, uh, the late Dr. Norman Geiser would say, there's two kinds of agnostic. There's an honorary agnostic and an ordinary agnostic. And I was both. So I was an honorary agnostic, which says, I don't know if uh, there's a God and you don't either. So leave me alone. An ordinary agnostic would say, maybe God exists, I'm open to information. So I transitioned from atheism through each of those phases. Uh, And uh, I had to tackle then the question, okay, if God exists, what kind of a God would that be? And I looked at Christianity. I didn't look at that time at other religions and their claims. I looked at Christianity because that was what my wife was and her family was. And so as I did, I came to several conclusions. One, is the Bible fundamentally reliable? That was my first step. And it is. It's 99.9% what was originally penned. Now, that doesn't mean inspired. It just means reliable. But a phone book's reliable. So that is moderately helpful, but it doesn't get you to whether God is the God of Christianity or some other deity. And uh, so the resurrection is what persuaded me if the resurrection is true then other things fall into place jesus made some amazing claims he claimed that he was god 
and we have that in scripture. He claimed he would be killed, he predicted that. And then he claimed that he would resurrect himself, not just that he'd be resurrected, but he would do the resurrecting. And there is strong evidence that he was resurrected. Uh, a really good book on that is uh, The Resurrection Debate, which I would, I would highly recommend. Uh, and there's 12 points that uh, are, all scholars agree on 11 of the 12, and uh, that the disciples believed he was resurrected and so forth. Those, those things come into play. Now, that doesn't mean he was resurrected, but it means that there was a strong belief immediately after the resurrection. It transformed those who were following him. And then we have other secular sources who affirm what it was that the early believers believed. So there was strong evidence that the resurrection is true, which then brought me back to the question of inspiration. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is who he claimed to be and did what he claimed he would do, and he believed in the inspiration of scripture. So what do we do with questions like, I don't know, God created everything from nothing. Well, Jesus believed that and affirmed that. Uh, what about a literal Adam and Eve? Well, Jesus affirmed that. What about, I don't know, Noah and the flood? Well, Jesus affirmed that. In other words, the, the problematic areas that most liberals reject, he affirmed all of those things. So my decision was simple. Do I believe the guy that said he would raise himself from the dead and then did? Or do I believe the guys that are not even certain that he existed? I'll go with him. Yeah, I love that, man. I mean, I, the the coolest part about everything that you just said is, you know, we're we're here talking about uh, outreach to cults, and you haven't said anything about what anybody else believes. You're just talking biblical facts, and that is the groundwork. I love right. that. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So we started getting calls then about other groups. We had a new cult startup uh, out of uh, Boston. Uh, the Boston, the International Churches of Christ, it was called the Boston Church of Christ at the time. And so I started getting calls even from local media going, okay, there's this cult, what do you know about it? And so we were dealing with that, addressing what it was that they were claiming. Uh, as it happened, I had written several articles on a particular issue that is uh, uh, Church of Christ claims that you're really baptized through water. Uh, we call it liquid salvation, uh, and not just uh, water baptism for salvation, but by them in their water and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so we dealt with uh, that group at the time. We also were getting calls about a group within the church, uh, internet, um, run by a guy named Bill Gothard, the Institute of Basic Life Principles. Uh, and we're, we're told by those who are calling it that it was a cult in Oak Brook, Illinois, which is pretty expensive real estate to have a cult, and that they were holding young women hostage against their will. Well, we know of Bill Gothard. We have been to one of his seminars. A little legalistic, maybe for my taste, but not a cult as far as we know. And we began looking into his teachings a little deeper. We couldn't really get his material on the market. He had to go to a former a tender to get it. And as we started looking at it, we began to realize that he really is teaching heretical doctrine. So <laughs> wow. we ended up writing a book on that. 
Yeah. How many books have you written? Sorry, not to like interrupt. Uh, we have but... we have co-authored three. Uh, I've okay. Co-authored three. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Now, so with uh, the the Gothard thing, did it just kind of spiral out from there, and it just kind of grew and grew, uh, learning more about various cults, or um, has that just sort of been a little bit here, a little bit there? Well, we're kind of more or less a a uh, call-driven ministry. Most ministries like this are call-driven. You can only know so much about so many groups. And yeah. so oftentimes you don't venture out to look at new groups unless they sort of run across your track and you go, I'm interested in that. Uh, what tends to happen is somebody will call you and say, what about X group? And if you don't have anything and can't track down anything, then you may elect to do the research, which is oftentimes what we did. I'll give you an example. Around the year 2000, we got a call asking about someone named Gwen Shamblin. Uh, now, Gwen Shamblin is, uh, was a weight loss guru of sorts. When we got the call, she was in 30,000 churches across 60 denominations. The call asked, has she changed her doctrinal position and i said i don't even know who she is weight loss is not something we really look into very often uh and so i made a few calls to some other apologetics ministries they knew of her thought she was pretty solid as far as they knew shouldn't be a problem in fact two of them had had her program in their church even so i thought okay as i looked at her website maybe she's just um, a lay person trying to describe the doctrine of the Trinity and is just doing a bad job of that. So I called. And the first thing that happened was the individual answered the phone, answered Way Down Workshop, which was the name of her group, slash Remnant Fellowship. And I said, who's Remnant Fellowship? Well, he said, that is a new church that Gwen has just started. I said, oh, has Gwen let her other churches where she's teaching know that she started her own church and is she recruiting from those churches for her church he couldn't really answer that i asked him then about their position on the deity of christ and he said could you hold on i think you should talk with gwen i said love to so he put me through <laughs> and uh, i asked her similar questions initially she was friendly until I started asking questions about the deity of Christ uh, and started giving a defense of that position because basically we're trying to offer help. And uh, she said, well, you, sir, are a false prophet, a false teacher about pagan gods. And so I thanked her for her time and hung up and I issued a press release. Uh, our senior researcher, Ron Hensel and I issued a press release about the discussion Within a couple of hours, Christianity Today had picked it up. I was a little surprised by that. Oh, wow. And they called her. Now, we knew people at Christianity Today at the time, but, you know, they are not really, how do I want to phrase this, quick on dealing with false teaching in the church or outside the church. Sure. So they picked Same it up. Same with TBN, right? Well, <laughs> TBN, oh, don't even get me going there. Uh, <laughs> They called her to verify if what we said in our press release was true. And she said the most amazing thing. I could almost kiss her for this. She's passed away recently, but 
Uh, she said, women don't care about doctrine. They just want to lose weight. Whoa. Yeah, that's what the women were saying, too. Oh, my, my God. And they published it. They published her response. And so I started getting phone calls from women all over the country saying, we want her out of our church today. So my question is, how is it that she got into 30,000 churches across 60 denominations and nobody picked up on her teaching on the deity of Christ or the Trinity? Mm. Because no one asked her. Simple. She was invited in because she was in Christianity Today and on the 700 Club and on all these other. So therefore, she must be Orthodox because she's on all of these other christian reliable right. christian sources and no one said surely they something. would have checked right <laughs> yep nope doesn't happen e even christian publishers don't check your theology uh thomas nelson was publishing her second there in fact they were publishing a third book at the time this happened they already had her second book out had sold around a quarter of a million copies i believe uh it was called the rise above the next one was out of egypt and they had just printed it they were going to ship three hundred thousand copies out when this happened uh and michael hyatt called me and he said uh i i, I hear we have a problem when i said Matt, we, well we don't really have a problem you have a problem i don't really have a problem and so he said what's going on and i explained it to him and he said well we have a meeting with her on friday to go through this and see what we have to do how do you think it will go and i asked him have you ever met a jehovah's witness elder he said no i said then you need to strap yourself into your seat because this will be one of the most difficult meetings you've ever had and indeed it was uh she said he called me on saturday after the meeting he said the only time she stopped talking was to take a breath i've never met with someone like this before now how did how did it get to there well they don't have anyone on staff christian publishers do not have anyone on staff for popular level books to check the theology that's in the book that's, that's insane that's yeah. insane yeah. wow um real quick in question about her did they make a documentary about that they did uh-huh um it was on uh hbo max i believe that's what i thought okay yeah i started watching that 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 all kind of sounded familiar i couldn't remember her name but that whole situation just sounded really familiar okay interesting um real quick too before we like go on uh something i want to clarify for any of our listeners um in the beginning you said that uh midwest christian outreach is uh for non-christian um like a ministry to non-christian beliefs and the cults Right. You made a distinction there. What would you say classifies a cult? Well, for us, the, you know, there's cults in various other religions as well. Uh, for example, Sufism would be a cult within Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, for us, a, a cult of Christianity, we kind of go with Ellen Gomes' definition, is a group that claims to be Christian, but denies one or more essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. Now, we also add to that another aspect, which is sociological. So one is, where are they doctrinally on essential doctrines of the faith? The other is uh, control issues. So a group could be theologically sound, but sociologically cultic, say like 
I don't know, Bill Gothard and the Institute of Basic Life Principles, for example, or they could be um, behaviorally not bad, but, but theologically off base. Right. When you put them both together, we go, okay, that's a cult. Gotcha. Uh, now there's, there's uh, uh, David Koresh, for example, claimed to be a mm -hmm. Christian group, uh, denied the essential doctrines of the Christian faith and was authoritarian group. So clearly a cult. Right. I mean, he claimed to be the second coming of the Messiah, right? He did. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 So a uh, 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 non-Christian religion would be something like Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. Uh, and so we want to reach everyone, but we do make a distinction between cults and non-Christian religions. Gotcha. Um, so like of, of the cults, um, I'll, I'll wait for that question. Um, what, why do you think this needs to be on Christians radar, like on, on the everyday Christians radar? Cause I'll be honest, I went most of my life, um, just kind of looking at JWs and Mormons and, uh, you know, I guess I didn't really know much about like Christian science, but if something sounded or proclaimed to be Christian, I would just kind of accept that and be like, oh, okay, gotcha. They're a Christian group. But man, once you start digging into these like doctrinal beliefs, you're like, this is not Christianity. They don't even agree on the, on the core pillars of the Christian faith. Kind of like you said, the essentials. Um, so like, why, why would you say this needs to be on every Christian's plate? Okay. I have to start out with uh, uh, just a step higher than every Christian, uh, which would be the church's plate and then all of those within the church. Okay. I want to go to the scriptures to do that because it isn't just my opinion. The apostle Paul in Acts 20, 28 and following met with the Ephesian elders and he warned them and he, he charged them basically. He said to, to guard the flock. Guard the flock from what? From predators. Guard the flock from false teach prophets who will come in, he says. So it's boundary maintenance. You want to make sure you don't have false teachers creeping in from the outside. Uh, and secondly, from those who would arise from within teaching false doctrine. So the number one task of pastors and elders they really only have two jobs by the way but the number one job is guarding the flock they are to be shepherds to prevent uh predators from coming in and hurting them spiritually maybe physically but certainly spiritually the second is to train the flock that's what the pastoral epistles are about in fact if you look at timothy it's interesting you have both of those in first and second timothy He's talking about false teachers that are in the church that they have to guard against and how the Timothy has to correct them. And he's talking about his task of teaching the scriptures diligently, daily, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, etc. So the job of the pastor and elder is really simple. There's two aspects. Should they counsel? Maybe, but that isn't his job. He might do it if he's a good, if he's gifted in that area. And it's his passion, but that isn't his job. Should he do hospital visitation? Maybe, but that isn't his job. His job is guard the flock, train the flock. That's his job. Does he do visitation? Maybe he's really good at passion about it. I, I've spoken churches and I've had elders 
afterwards say, okay, we want to go out to lunch afterwards and I'll go out to lunch and they'll say, okay, so if the pastor isn't doing those things, who's going to do them? And I would say, okay, as I look around the table with the elders here, I notice a couple of things. One is there are several here that have been married for more than 20 years. Do you know enough about marriage that you should be able to counsel another couple who is thinking of marrying or is married and in trouble? If you don't, then you have a problem with your marriage. Second, there's others here who are, I don't know, in retirement age or close to it. I bet they're in the hospital enough that they could visit others who are in the hospital as well. This is a body life question. All believers should be involved in serving the body in some capacity. Most who attend church are not involved in any capacity. That's wrong. So that brings us then to your original question is why should this matter to Christians? I'll tell you why. You are going to meet someone who needs to hear the gospel. If you don't know what they believe, you won't even know where to begin. So that's simple. What, what's, what's the best way to know what somebody believes? Well, the best way to know what somebody believes, uh, number one, is to ask them. Number two is to look at the groups that they hail from. Now, I say the first one because of this. Let's say you're talking to a Mormon. Is the best way to start out to say, oh, the Mormon church is not a Christian group and here's why? No, I don't think that's the best way. Because just because someone's a Mormon doesn't know that they actually know what Mormonism teaches. Mm -hmm. Most do not. So I suggest asking what they are, how they got involved, were they born into it? Did they come into it in college? Maybe they met a young lady or a young man who's a Mormon. The only ones who are living cleanly in the whole college group that they were associated with. And so they gravitated over there and then they started attending their church with them. Uh, yeah, they're socialized into Mormonism largely, not because of doctrine. And so if that's the case, then you need to start talking about questions like well what do they what do you really believe about christ do you believe he was born on another planet i'm just trying to ask and they can tell you well yeah i believe that okay now you have something to talk about if they go well no that would be too weird okay now we know that they don't really understand mormon teaching right right uh so you learn your definitions and frankly the more you learn about two or three bible paced cults the better you are at understanding your own faith. We learned doctrine, really, Joy and I learned our doctrine by learning what was false in other groups. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of the Walter Martin approach, if I remember right, is like knowing, knowing your own Bible so well that you, you can pick it out when you hear a false gospel, right? Um, yeah. I like that, man. I, I like you're doing the kind of, I, I think I said this in the last interview too, but me and Randy, uh, Randy's not here today, by the way, he's my, he's the co-host here. Uh, but he, uh, we've been reading the Greg Kokel's tactics oh, and everything right. you just said, man, everything you just said, you know, what do you believe? How did you come to that? How did you come to that conclusion? And I love that. Well, it's, it's funny. I haven't read it yet. We're going to, on September 17th, we're going to start a uh, Wednesday night group, uh, uh going through the book tactics and for that mm -hmm. reason i haven't read it largely because that's just how i operate i 
as I said earlier, people fascinate me. I, I like to know why they believe what they believe. And when I ask them those questions, they tell me some important things. One of which is, what are they invested in? Now, I don't know if you've heard anyone talk about this before, but when someone is involved in a group, whatever the group is, they make an investment in the group and it's the investment of themselves. Their view of themselves is tied up in that investment, not unlike investing in a stock market or something. Uh, so if you invested in say financial scheme of some kind, and I discovered that the investment you had made was a Ponzi scheme, you're going to do everything you can to protect yourself from believing it's a Ponzi scheme, because in order to do so, that means you're going to have to admit you made a bad investment, and that mm -hmm. is painful for people. It's the same way in the question of religion. To admit that I have been deceived into becoming a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a Scientologist or reading the Urantia book or any number of things, uh, it's easier if I can ask you a question and you'll tell me how you got involved. You'll tell me why you're really invested, which usually has to do with how you got involved. And it sets me up with a number of questions I can start asking to figure out what I need to do to say, to help you to come to the realization that you've made a bad investment. Mm. Comparing with other groups is always helpful. I'll tell you a little story. It's hard if someone feels like you're attacking them. Oh yeah. It is easier if you talk about that group over there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we had we had a, a situation some years ago. A, a gentleman had called. He was an atheist. He wanted his wife out of the Jehovah's Witness. She had been a Jehovah's Witness for seven years. And he came over and met with us, and he was desperate to get her out. And I said, why do you want her out? You don't have anything to offer her. Atheism isn't going to do it. He said, I don't care what she becomes as long as it's not a Jehovah's Witness. And so he brought her over but he lied to her about who we were, said that we were friends of some father, such and such, some Catholic or whatever. And so it made me nervous because to start off a relationship with an out and out lie is not a good situation. Right. So Joy and I are sitting there and the wife is kind of sitting on a couch with us and the husband is across from us. And I started talking to him about the existence of God, which frustrated him because he wanted us to talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses, didn't do it. Within a few minutes, she had gone from crossing her arms like, I don't want to be here, to she was engaged in discussion. Why? She wanted her husband to believe in God. Why? She wanted her husband to believe in God and become a Jehovah's Witness. So now she's engaged with us to talk to him about the existence of God. In the process, we talked about three other groups, not Jehovah's Witnesses. Every doctrine we talked about is a Jehovah's Witness doctrine that these other groups taught. Interesting. How, how did you find that? Like, did you just kind of think of that on the spot where the, I did. the crossover was? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's quick thinking. But that's why, that's why knowing two or three Bible-based cults is helpful.
Sure. Because then you know where, where you can pick and choose and draw from. So, you know, David Koresh, uh, she knew who that was, Waco, Texas, uh, believed that uh, 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 basically Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. So I could talk about, well, you know, they believe that Jesus is Micah the Archangel. And here's why that that fails. Uh, we could talk about uh, the Worldwide Church of God. Uh, so <laughs> uh, we talked about two or three Bible-based cults. He said he was really frustrated because we didn't talk about JWs. But all the way home, he said she was just silent all the way home. And then they wanted to meet the following weekend and invited us to their house. And so we went. Uh, and uh, when we walked in, she had become a Christian. Why did she become a Christian? Well, my wife had offered, uh, uh, invited her to a Christmas luncheon that she was having, and the women were just fascinated. And they asked her, what changed your mind? And she said, well, they talked about all these other groups, and I knew these other groups were cults. I knew that. And I kept wondering, am I in a cult? Wow. And then she watched a video that we had given her, and she said, I am in a cult. And she left the cult. And she accepted the Lord and she became a believer. I don't know whatever happened with her husband after that, but it was simpler than assaulting the watchtower. Sometimes you have to do that. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we've done both. It kind of depends on who you're talking to and how deeply invested they are. And are they willing to look at other information? Wow. I mean, honestly, good on her because there are, plenty of bible believing christians that have traditions and beliefs that aren't biblical that would right. probably have a harder time coming to that conclusion than she did right. right yeah so i mean that's really great uh you know the, the bible tells us to examine ourselves constantly you know see where we're at in the faith and i that's that's what she did so that's really cool that she actually like open was open to that so right right, cool. right. We, we have the same problem with with new agers frankly today um i'm involved in a couple of groups uh uh, for new agers in transition they were in the new age they've become believers now they're trying to sort out okay how what do i believe now about you know god for example because mm -hmm. as a new ager you could be a pantheist or a panentheist or you know kind of whatever you wanted uh now you have to narrow that down and go no monotheism is true trinitarianism is true the problem they're having is this now that they've left the new age and come to the faith, they walk into churches and guess what they find in the church? New age. New beliefs. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what uh, Melissa Doherty's pretty much built right. an entire ministry on that concept, right? right. Um, it, it seems like these, all these ex new agers have a really keen eye for spotting how far we've fallen in the modern church in those areas. Um, just Most some ex cultists we... do too. Really? Yeah. You, you have a Jehovah's Witness that comes out of the Watchtower, comes to the faith, starts going to church. The first question they call me and go, Why isn't this church teaching doctrine on a regular basis? We learn what we're supposed to believe like every week. Or mm. why aren't they going out being evangelistic? We had to. I mean, they had to go eight hours a month minimum and keep time cards on that. Mm -hmm. and, and and this church doesn't really they don't seem to to care about whether they're reaching people they just i i don't understand it mormon is the same thing so yeah that's a really interesting point i mean that we we can't just like write off those groups and say there's nothing we can learn from them 
um, the, like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, their evangelism is amazing. Mormons are some of the nicest people I've ever met. All the Mormons I know, or at least most of them. But like, it, yeah, I mean, there, there are things to learn even from people that have bad doctrine, like that aren't, aren't teaching the real Jesus, you know? So, well, here, here's another one. I have a lot of XJWs who they'll kind of start off going, you know, I just wasted so many years of my life and I'll go, okay, you were not saved. That's true. If you'd have died, you would have been eternally separated from God. That's also true. But you have a gift as a result of that experience that most Christians don't have. Number one, you have learned how to do public speaking. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Because they have to they have to do a speech up in front of everybody. That's part of their training. Uh, you have gone door to door. You're not afraid to talk to strangers about what it is that you believe. Most Christians don't do that. So even though what you believed was false, God used that time to train and equip you for when you became a believer because you weren't going to get that training in your church. That's that's really cool. I mean, that's just like that sort of falls into the like, you know, when you look back at your life, I've heard people say that their life felt like a zigzag, that God was dragging them over here, then over here, then over here. And then they look back at their life and it's a straight line straight to Jesus and that everything, you know, kind of he, he put all those things in your place to build you up to be the believer that he needed you to be. Right. right. Um, yeah, it's kind of beautiful that it's sort of the, the God uses even wickedness. Uh, turns that into good you know um i love that love that of all the cults you deal with and maybe this is like a loaded question i don't know maybe that maybe there is no right answer to um is there one or maybe even a few that you think are more dangerous to the like to believers today to believers yeah, like I like you mentioned, like how the new age has kind of Trojan horsed its way into the church in a few ways, you know, like how there are some things we've kind of let in that are kind of new age. You wrote a book on the Enneagram. I'm still making my way through it. Um, yeah. It's great stuff. Um, but just different, different kind of new age practices or, or maybe things from okay. other beliefs. Right. So, so what Christians should be aware of has to do with what's going on in the household of faith. And because I don't really see, for example, Mormonism invading the church as Mormonism. Right. Right. I don't see Jehovah's Witnesses invading the church as Jehovah's Witnesses. I do see, in fact, I spoke in a Baptist church in Florida some years ago, and my wife was, you know, in, in near the back of the, of the church, and an elder was sitting directly in front of her talking to his wife, and an elder in a Baptist church, as I was talking about the deity of Christ, looks at his wife and said, Jesus never claimed to be God. Now, that's Jehovah's Witness doctrine. What's it doing in a Baptist church? Well, somebody's not teaching sound doctrine on a regular enough basis to make a difference to the congregation. Hmm. Most churches, I would suggest, I haven't done surveys, this is just what I've observed assume that someone joins a church and signs a doctrinal statement that they understand it they don't they affirm it because the pastor believes it the elders believe it and affirm it other people they know affirm it and they just sign on the dotted line like everybody else put in the trenches with a jehovah's witness or a mormon or someone from the urantia which is another cult book 
uh, would not last more than probably a minute and a half in, in some dialogue with them on that. So sound doctrine. So what do you look for? You look for unsound doctrine, but you have to know what that is. Right. Right. What groups are operating in the church today? Well, the Enneagram is a big one. I mean, it didn't get into the church until 2016. Uh, it was introduced from the occult uh, into the church through disciples of Richard Rohr and uh, has just gone... It's, the last count we have is there are about 140 pro Enneagram books in the church by Christian publishers. I'm estimating between two and four million Christians are actively involved and churches are using it for nine week sermon series, for marriage seminars, for membership uh, um, classes, etc. So they're introducing serious heresy to their churches thinking that it's going to be somehow helpful to them i don't understand that or the new apostolic reformation how does that get in the church well it's kind of easy actually how many churches today are using music from hillsong for example uh or from the musicians at bethel rudding very talented musicians but they are heretical and so as we talk with pastors or music worship leaders, for example, and they, we, we tell them what's going on, they say, well, we're selective. We look at the words. I go, okay, do you put, when you put up the, on the screen, the words, and you have to put the licensing uh, number and the name of the writers and publishers, do you put a skull and crossbones next to that? And they said, well, why would we do that? I said, because the people in your congregation look at that song they look at that group and they go i like this song and they go and start buying other music by them why because they think that you think they're okay and the and i mean the the church associated with this song must be okay too right 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 they say well if i put a skull and crossbones and they'll think that we're giving them spiritual poison i said that's because you are Right, and it's and that's a huge bummer right like i i'll I'll tell you what so i um i I gotta get this jab in i got um i got i will say tricked into going to an apostolic pentecostal church service okay um which is non-trinitarian um and i there was a lot about it that I was just like bewildered and ready to leave. But there was one thing I noticed that I was like, they write all their own songs, all their own music. And I was like, why can't we do that? Like, why can't the church do that? Like, why can't we have a place where we just sing, you know, old tested hymns or, you know, if we want, if we want new hip music, well, let's write some biblically sound doctrinal music, you know, but we don't have to just think that Bethel and Hillsong are the only places we can pull music from. Right, right. Yeah, right. it's kind of, so I mean, once again, kind of learn something from a organization that I disagree with a lot of what they believe. So yeah, well, I, you know, I think good worship music is is necessary for the church. Um, and as an apologist, one of the fun things I do is uh, I'm also president of Evangelical Missions Ministry, yeah, Missions to Non-Christian Religions, uh, EMNR, which has been around since 1986, and it's a consortium of ministries like this. I'm the current president, so when we put together a conference, 
one of the very first things they put into the conference is worship time before each main session. It's a little unusual for apologetics conferences, but apologists are the worst for worship because hmm. we're fixated on the argument, on the idea and the defense of the faith. And yet, ultimately, we're doing this in the name of God and at his calling, and he deserves our worship. And so we need to do that in the beginning before we do anything else. So yeah, worship is important. We should be selective about where we, the source of the material that we're using though. Yeah, amen, that's great. Um, Don, honestly, man, thank you so much for just all this really great, uh, very applicable knowledge on the cults. Um, I, I, this is none of, nothing you've said is unaccessible. And I really love that. Um, that it just kind of comes back to us knowing the Bible and then getting to know people so we can get to know what they believe and then whether or not that lines up with the Bible. Is that a pretty fair summary? Pretty fair summary. I, uh, I mentioned uh, uh, on a podcast, on our webcast we did on Tuesday on Mormonism. At the end, I suggested that every pastor needs to pray for every person in their congregation and God will bring somebody into their life that they fall in love with to the point that they cannot see them not in heaven with them. Wow. Because once you see somebody as really, that's the problem. We don't see people as really lost. Once you see them as really lost and really separated from God eternally, there is no amount of time you won't invest, no amount of money you won't spend to get resources, no amount of prayers you won't pray no amount of quipping that you won't partake of to reach that person. And until we really see people as really lost, that isn't going to happen. Love it. That's great, man. That's beautiful. Um, I actually literally ended my sermon last week with that. So um, that's a, that's a God thing. Thank you for saying that. Uh, anybody from our church listening to this, I hope that they remember, <laughs> maybe they just tuned me out. I don't know. <laughs> Well, maybe, but, uh, you know, right, right now I'm also doing interim pastoring at the Crossroads Church in Sturgeon Bay, which uh, is kind of showing up on my little name tag there. So uh, just in case anyone wonders. <laughs> where, Sturgeon Bay, where is that at? That is in Wisconsin, Sturgeon Wisconsin. Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah, it is, gotcha. Yeah. So are you located in Wisconsin? I am not. I'm in Wonder Lake, Illinois, but uh, I drive four hours each weekend. Uh, Wow. Uh, to go up and help that church out up there it's uh it's one of our supporting churches and uh they are without a pastor at the moment and kind of rebuilding so they asked me sure. if i would come in and help and i've been there now about four months so okay well great uh, man. and i think we're about uh, ready to start looking at uh having them hire a part-time bivocational pastor maybe very cool uh, so yeah yeah well awesome man hey thank you for all you do don uh, thank you for coming on this podcast. And honestly, man, you've been uh, a source of a lot of great interviews that we've had recently. And so thank you for uh, giving me a few really great referrals. Um, as far as if people want to get a hold of uh, your guys' ministry, or if they want to follow you on YouTube, is it best just to hit your website and the and that YouTube channel? Or do you have other resources as well? Well, we have other resources, but when you try to give them all out on uh, something like this, they get lost. So if you go to midwestoutreach.org, 
there's links at the top of the page that will take you everywhere you want to go. Well, Great. not everywhere you want to go, but everywhere you can find us. How about that? Love it, man. Great. <laughs> um, hey, once again, thank you so much. Uh, thank you guys for listening to uh, this. I hope you've been blessed by it. If you've got questions, you can send those at questions at two questions at becomehope.com or salty saints at becomehope.com. And uh, make sure to check out our friends over at Life Audio. They got lots and lots of podcasts uh, on parenting and reading the Bible and all that good stuff. So go over there, check them out. And uh, until next time, stay salty. I found myself on a ledge three stories high at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend in my new podcast, Billy and the Goat. I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.